Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? What do you read there? You should love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mo- all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. And who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers <laughs> who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, a priest was going down that road, <laughs> and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Here, he let went me to help him. You. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and took him to an inn and took care of him. Here are two denarii. Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you what more you have spent. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed him mercy. Go and do likewise. I'm in my uh, third year of being a part of this congregation, and it's so fun to see the, the thespian gifts come out to kind of see who, who's been waiting for the opportunity to ham it up a little bit, and uh, it's fun. It also helps to uh, enact the scripture for us to kind of get a, a different feel for it. I have... Um, when I was in Kenya, I, I worked in this very remote village, and I can remember the children acting that parable out for, for me, and even though uh, we didn't speak the same language, just doing those same motions that our team just did, I knew exactly what they were talking about. It is a parable that sort of infuses the Christian tradition almost as much as any other it stands out. Maybe the, the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son are, are two, maybe, I don't know, biggest parables. It is a parable that reminds me always that the Christian faith is not for the faint of heart. If you thought that being a Christian was just something easy to do, a, a, just a matter of Showing up for church on Sunday, the Good Samaritan reminds us that it is not that. Churchiness is nice and all, but it is not what the Christian faith is ultimately about. To live an embodied faith 
As Jesus lived an embodied faith, an incarnate presence, we as the church are called to incarnate, to live out, to put flesh and bones on this gospel message. And when we are uh, thoughtful about that, we have to uh, begin to set some guidelines for ourselves. We live in a culture and in a nation that wants to say that to be in the U.S. is to be a part of a Christian nation, and certainly there are more Christians than others in this society. But being a good Christian is not simply a matter of being a good citizen. To be a good Christian is to be rooted in the gospel of God's love and mercy and compassion and grace. To be a good Christian is not just to speak of those things, but to actually live it and to do it. We are talking last week and this week and couple next couple weeks about what it means to be really intentional about living out our faith, to be really putting it into practice in our lives beyond Sunday mornings and beyond church meetings. What does it mean to really, really practice a love of God and a love of neighbor and a love of self? What does it mean to live in right relationships intentionally? In the early Christian church, you know, after uh, the third century, when Christianity, you know, prior to the third century, Christianity was uh, not a uh, a legal religion, and so it was something that was done in, in very small house churches, and folks had to really um, be very, very personally invested in their faith because well, they could get killed for it. And so you had to be really, really thoughtful and really, really intentional if you were going to declare yourself a Christian or to live in the light of this gospel. And uh, come the third century when Christianity became a religion of the empire, it became easy to be a Christian. And they started building massive churches and cathedrals and we established clerics and popes and such and suddenly the, the gospel became very watered down. And so some folks, the monastics, felt like something was really missing in the practice of the faith. And so they went out to the deserts and to the wilderness and they developed monasteries with the whole intention of being intentional about living their faith, about really immersing themselves in this uh, deep faith in the gospel and in the call to love. And, and so monastics developed something called a rule of life. We talked a little bit last Sunday about rules, about the rules that govern our lives, the guidelines that we place on ourselves. Not that the church places on you, not that some pastor tells you you have to do or some authority figure, but rather, what, is the, what are the rules that you place in your own life? What are the intentions that you set as your foundations in life? If you... If you say that you want to be a person that is, you know, healthy and takes care of themselves, you might have some rules around what you eat or how you exercise. If you just say it and don't do anything about it, well, that's all well and good, but talk is cheap. Same thing, of course, with being a person of faith. This is why I say it's not for the faint of heart, because Jesus says parables like this one that cause us to really think about what are, the, what are the rules of our life? What are the intentions that we are willing to set because we are followers of Christ? 
What are some ways that our patterns of behavior are going to change? How is it going to cause us to think differently about our neighbor? We have this story that is so familiar to all of us, the story of the Good Samaritan, a story of a, of a man that's on a Jericho road, a place that is dangerous and full of robbers. And I, I think that there's Jericho roads all over the place, not just places that are physically dangerous, but spiritually dangerous, people that are spiritually dangerous, places that are full of harm and that we have to watch out. Anyway, this man is walking along there, and you know the story well. He gets robbed. He is beaten. He's left for dead. Good religious folks walk right by him. Pay no mind. They may have had their reasons. They may not have had their reasons. But whatever the fate that they're, they're, was going on in their lives that day, they chose to just look the other way. And then, of course, we know the story that the good Samaritan, a uh, uh, a good person. Not that the other two weren't good. They were perhaps just too busy, too other-focused, too whatever, to pay attention to what was really going on in their midst. And the Samaritan walks by and sees the man and, of course, takes him to get help. To which the lawyer asked Jesus, you know, so this man is my neighbor? You know, he, I think when he asked, who is my neighbor, he was kind of hoping he could get away with something small. Is my neighbor just the people who live on my street? I love that our kids came up with, is it just the people on the, the, um, the neighborhood app that perhaps you have on your phone? Is it just the people who live here in Redondo or Torrance or wherever you live? No, Jesus picks... Everybody, And he asks us to look at this parable not from the perspective of the Levite or the priest or even the Samaritan, but from the man in the ditch. Who does this man hope is his neighbor? If you are the one in the ditch, who are you looking for? Anybody. Anybody. You would be happy to call anybody your neighbor that would lend you a hand. Sometimes we look to sort of narrowly define the gospel. Who, who, what's the least I can do to get away with this? Who, who, what, how, how narrowly can I define neighbor and neighborhood? And Jesus crosses the borders of our countries. He crosses the border of our religious hatreds. He causes, crosses the border of our racism. He crosses the border of our, any of our boundaries. I mean, Samaritans were hated people. And Jesus made them the hero Jesus says this person is more faithful than those other good people who go to church every Sunday. This person is the one who is more faithful. And then the lawyer is a little deflated because he's realizing that following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. He's realizing that this is going to ask something of him. He asks, who, is, who was more faithful in this story? And of course, the answer is the Samaritan, the one who is not like me, the one who is different from me, the one whose customs and practices and traditions and everything I abhor. That's the one who was actually more faithful in the parable. Jesus tells the, Samar- the lawyer, 
go and do likewise. Some biblical scholars say that that is Luke's great commission. Not go and baptize and preach, but go and do likewise. That in those words, we have the summation of the gospel. Go and do likewise. Go and do what the Samaritan did. It's a challenging text, and I think our faith is challenging. Our, ta- our faith is always asking us to look at who our neighbor is, and we live in a time of, I think every time is like this, but a time when we want to sort of narrowly define who our neighbor is. Are they just the people here in, in this area? What about the homeless person that's living on the, on the corner I don't know about you, but if you're on these neighborhood apps, my neighborhood app is terrible in its condemnation of the poor. Boy, if somebody is homeless, they, are, they just deem them to be a, an awful human being, unworthy of compassion. And then here jumps in Amy trying to say, oh, but we have to love our neighbor. They don't like that when you tell them that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but we try. I want to challenge us now as we're... In the back of the bulletin, again, I have put in questions for us to really be thinking about our faith. And this is homework, but we're going to start our homework here in worship today. It's just like school, you know how sometimes the teacher gives a little thing and you get started here, but we're going to continue it at home. So I want us to be thinking about What guidelines can I identify that would help me grow in my love for my spouse, my family, my friends, my colleagues, and my workplace, and others? So that's a question about who are your most immediate neighbors? Sometimes they live in your house. Sometimes they live on your street, or you work with them every day. What would be the guidelines for offering love and compassion to these people? How will I seek to serve God and others, especially in those who are different from me? We humans tend to always want to cast other people outside of the realm of God's love and outside of the realm of my responsibility. And we live in a time when we're doing that an awful lot. We're saying those people aren't like us. Those people don't think like us. They don't speak our language. Therefore, we don't have to care about them. It's not the way of Jesus. How might you seek to serve and love God and others who are different from you? In what ways can I contribute to the work of God in the world, advancing the cause of peace and justice and bringing healing and reconciliation and hope to my community, my church, my nation, and the world? As you can see, there's not enough room on this paper But I want us to just take a minute or two and see if you might write down a couple of things on on this. And I hope it's something you take home and think about further. So let's just take a few minutes to, to think on these things. Again, I want to invite you to be taking these home 
to be reflecting on these questions. It helps to write things down because sometimes if we just think in our heads, there's something about putting it down on paper and really be thinking about it. These are big questions. If you just chose one of the, the relationships under spouse, family, friends, colleagues, just choose one of those and set a goal or an intention. You know, bringing peace and reconciliation to your community, your church, or the nation. These things are big goals, but what is it that you might do? And just one thing or two things. Set an intention. Set a place that you might be more gracious. Perhaps it's even on social media. Where might you be a part of bringing hope and healing in the world? Let us pray. God, when you came to us in Christ Jesus, you invited us to follow him along the way. You invited us to walk behind him, following in his footsteps, looking at the world through the lens of compassion and mercy, seeing ourselves in the person lying in the ditch, seeing ourselves in our neighbors, calling us to an expansive form of love and compassion in the world. God, we confess that we often limit our own ability to love. We condemn other people. We cast them aside. We pretend as if our lives, our beliefs, our values were more important than theirs. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we have looked the other way. Give us courage, God, to respond with compassion to the needs of our neighbors. Give us courage to look into the eyes of the poor and the hurting. To see them and to see ourselves and to see Christ. And give us, God, the will to respond with compassionate hearts, with generosity of spirit. For we ask it in the name of the one whom we follow, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.